0: Ravi Bhutalingam, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. You're founder and chairman of Manners Ad- Advisory, and, and you've been at the Cambridge Judge Business School today looking at India and China synergies and Opportunities, And and you pointed out, didn't you, that, that they're always presented as rivals, India and China, as animals, um, you know, the, the great race. Why do you think that analogy isn't right?
1: Well, um, I think one of the things about the popular media perception is that they rely on images which are strong and powerful and which... Uh, 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 on top of everything, sell. And this imagery of the, the, the dragon with flames coming out of its nose, and the elephant sort of lumbering along uh, on its own track, uh, both of them on collision course, is a fantastic story. And uh, therefore, the media tend to milk this story and to add spice to it in the way they can. But it is not strictly true. In fact, if one goes back in history, these two uh, nations, even if they were not nation-states in exactly the same way as they are now, have had a history of trade and exchange and civilizational contact and research and study and discovery together.
0: And you start at the beginning by talking about you know how... Ge- Joseph Needham here told you to to take the long view of, of history, and, and that's a, a Cambridge story. But but in terms of your approach to analyzing the situations India and China face today, you looked at language, didn't you, and dissected the language, and through language di- dissected the culture, and then actually dissected the business model too.
1: That's right. Uh, I mean, the, the, the origins uh, and the development of the Chinese language, with its its particular qualities, which I spelt out, its its uh, imagery, its uh, n- uh, its pictorial uh, basis, uh, present a way of looking at things, a way of expression, a way of visualizing things, which are unique and which stand uh, very distinctively apart from the strength of Indian languages. Indian languages, which are vocabulary-based and which look at reality in a very different way, in in a way quite similar to those of Western alphabetically-based languages. So these two are different ways of looking at the world, different ways of expression, which are different, but they also, therefore, are highly complementary. And if one can put these complementarities together then one can get enormous synergies, enormous scopes of partnership, uh, enormous ways of collaboration, um, which have only been scratched on the surface right now.
0: Yes, because you talked about Chinese being a tonal language, didn't you? And and then we then we looked at um, uh, India and Sanskrit and, and the heritage of India and the customs of India and the traditions of, of India, too. And, and, and yet, and, and India being argumentative, for instance, and, and yet yet there are synergies there where other people see difference. Do you, can you really explain that through language?
1: Well, uh, for example, um, uh, in the Chinese tradition, uh, when you negotiate, um, there is a certain pattern and a way of negotiation. Um, the leader does uh, the bulk of the talking. Silences also convey a lot. Um And and, and therefore the whole structure of negotiation, if it is not understood, if the cultural context is not understood, can be completely misread by the opposite side. Similarly, the the, uh, Indian way of negotiation uh, is very highly interactive. Uh, You could even call it a bargaining method, uh, it goes back and forth in many different dimensions. and uh, Unless you understand where that is coming from, again, you can go wrong. But imagine a team which was negotiating with an alien race, let's say, put together with Chinese and Indian and European and other cultures. I mean, the kind of range and complexity they could provide would be, incomparable um, and this is the power of synergy one multiplied by one multiplied by one is no longer one but some big number.
0: And You had that fascinating description of the right and left hand side of the brain didn't you the right being creative the, the left um, being the language center and do you really think that language can explain can, can bring these two cultures together in that way?
1: Language gives each culture certain distinctive competences. And if those competences are put together, the examples I gave, for example, of music and choreography, of design and manufacture. I mean, there are so many. I just touched upon a few of them there. But you can look at any field. The other example I gave uh, was in something as mundane as marketing, public relations you take graphic design on the one hand put it together with animation and uh, sloganeering on the other side both these play to different skill sets the chinese set on the one hand and the indian set on the other so virtually in any sphere you can actually uh, call out which are the skill sets which are more likely to be found in one culture which are those which are more likely to be found in the other one? And if you can te- create teams, and today you can create virtual teams, you don't have to physically sit together. Look at the creative explosion that can occur.
0: Yes, but particularly when we're talking about you know the e-teams, the the online teams that, that cross borders now, that the need for collaboration. Do you think perhaps you're onto something? in terms of, of your thinking, which is very progressive and traditional at the same time, and how perhaps business thinking is at the moment, with you know people saying, well, cheap Chinese imports are um, stealing um, markets uh, from India. Do you think yours is the progressive uh, debate?
1: I do indeed hope that it is, and I do believe that discussions uh, like the one that we had this evening um, will stimulate more thinking, more interest, and carry this idea forward. Because if these two countries can collaborate and work together, I think they will create wealth and prosperity for the whole world.
0: And and that is personified by the two lovely stories you told at the end, which is that, I'll tell one of them, um, apparently um, that there's nobody who's teaching Chinese in India. I don't know if it's the other way around as well, but, but there's a, a lack of synergy between these two cultures at the, at the moment. And the story about the shoe salesman who visits an emerging market.
1: Yes, uh, this is one of the earliest stories in in, in management folklore of, of the shoe salesman um, who is sent to a new market. Uh, and he goes there and he's terribly disappointed because nobody wears any shoes. And he sends a telegram back to his company, saying, I'm sorry, this is the dreadful market, because no one wears any shoes. But the com- competitor company sent their sh- shoe salesman, and he went along, and he saw uh, the people wearing no shoes, and he rushed to the post office and sent a telegram, saying, fantastic opportunity, nobody wears any shoes, Send a big consignment. So it's just the approach and the attitude with which you look at new situations. If you can see an opportunity where others can't, and if you can then work to make it happen, well, that's what business is all about, isn't it?
0: And that's what about is about to happen through collaboration, new markets, um, new technology as well. That these two great cultures, these two big animals, as we describe them, are going to work in synergy together in the future?
1: I do believe so. I think in real life, in the jungle, these animals live together. They live in the ecology of the world and the jungle, and all the animals prosper. That was the way it was in nature, and if we can draw a lesson from that, I believe that is the way it will go in future.
0: Ravi Boothlingham, founder and chair of the Manser's Advisory Group. Thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. It's been a privilege.
1: Thank you very much indeed.